Everybody wants to know what I would do if I didn't win. I guess we'll never know. Imagine making a difference. No, imagine being the difference. The difference between I can't and I can or I won't and I will. The reason someone chooses to wake up and strive for greatness. In life, it can feel like everything is working against you. Let's defy all odds and break generational curses. This is Overstepping Poverty with Daquan and Zacchaeus. Welcome back to Overstepping Poverty, the podcast that provides you with tips, tricks, and hacks in overstepping poverty. My name is Daquan Brooks, and I'm here with my co-host, Zacchaeus Shaw. How you doing, Zacchaeus? I'm doing good, man. It's another, it's a beautiful day. I cannot believe it. We're about to hit Christmas, and we've barely seen any snow here in South Dakota. I'm knocking on wood for that yeah. one. You know, um, let's keep it that you know, way. It's been nice being able to kind of still enjoy it. You know, the windows open and not having to worry about wind chill and all that stuff. It's it's good. It Excited is. for the holidays, man. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Um, like you said, no snow coming into Christmas. I'm hoping that it actually goes through the New Year's because we are traveling this year for the New Year. So where are you going? Uh going back to Pier, Pier, South oh, Dakota. Nice. Yep. So uh, that's where the in-laws are, and so we're going to head back that way, and we're going to do our Christmas with them there, uh, so I'm super excited for that, and I just, I hope the weather just stays how it's, it's, it is going right now, you know. Yeah. Also, on top of that, uh, you know, I feel like you're waiting for me to bring this up, why this is also a really good day, um, but Zacchaeus almost beat me in golf. He did win uh the bet that we had but he almost beat me today yeah um so yeah it's a it's a great day for him it's an average day for me now just kidding yeah i wasn't gonna bring it up you know (laughs) i know you were i was i was gonna bring up fantasy football and ask if you're ready for this week but then i forgot you were eliminated last week so you know what's nice is with fantasy football you can always have a backup plan you just get into multiple leagues (laughs) exactly um so i'm in another league and i'm actually first in that (laughs) league so i i am playing this week let's go let's go (laughs) yes well i'm excited for our episode today you know it's always really cool having people on but when it's somebody that you love that you you know look up to and have as a family member it makes it that much more special for me and you know we have somebody who's special to not just me but the state and Mm -hmm. has impacted a lot of people we have the great Kathy Caldwell. Let's go. Podcast. Welcome. Hey guys. Thanks Welcome. for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, Thank nice you for, for coming. Like Zakia said, uh, it's really nice to have someone on that you like, you know, a little bit about, you know, mm-hmm. um, sometimes it, it, that makes me nervous actually, because <laughs> I know a little bit about you, but I don't know everything about you. Yeah. Right. Right. You can know a little bit of things, but not everything, which, which is fine. But just, just getting, um, someone that's super important, someone that, that we love um, on here and being able to tell their story, allow you to tell your story to other people, because obviously we know, we know who you are and how great you are, but we feel that the world needs to know as well. So yeah. we're excited Thank for you. you to be on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I don't even think I clarified. This is my grandmother. You didn't. My nana is what I call her. <laughs> yes. so, the first thing I want to do, you know, cause you've followed us since we started basically 
And typically we just jump right into the journey. Um, but I have to ask you, what have you enjoyed most about overstepping poverty since you've followed us along for the first year? Well, I have enjoyed getting to know the people that you've had on here. Some of the the stories are just fascinating mm-hmm. and people have gone through a lot in their lives to get to where they are today. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, people have gone through abuse and discrimination and just all sorts of issues and they keep plowing ahead. Yep. And I just think it's been wonderful. And you guys give people a platform to tell people their story and to encourage other people that if those kind of people can make it in this world, I should be able to, too. Absolutely. I think think you've really made a swath for yourself through the community and people are uh, getting to know who you are Mm -hmm. and what you stand for. And I think people are honored to be on your podcast and you guys have done a great job and I think you're doing great things for the community. We appreciate that. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. It is it is a lot of fun being able to hear stuff like that from people because it just confirms what we're trying to do, mm-hmm. I feel like, and it gives that validation of like, okay, the things that we're setting out to do, the things we're wanting to do, it's being reciprocated. So I appreciate that feedback from yeah, you. Yeah, as yeah. do I, as do I, you know, and Um, Just going off of what you each just said there, well, one, before we even, you know, started the podcast here, you had mentioned like you're making a difference in in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And just we've heard that, I mean, multiple times before, but each time that I hear that, like it fills, I mean, it fills my cup. That's, that's, (laughs) you know, the best way to put it. Um, Just because again, I feel like when I was younger, if I can look ahead of time and if I could be the person right now for myself back then, mm-hmm. like, I feel like I just would have come even further and I'm not mm-hmm. saying that it set me back or anything, but it's definitely propelled me forward having this positive mindset, um, having good energy around us, you know, people like mm-hmm. yourself, um, to, to tell their stories and just know, and it sounds selfish of me to say this, but to know that we're not the only ones that are going through it on a mm-hmm. daily basis. You know, there is some comfort in that. Right. Um, but also to know that, we also have people around us who are just as strong as we are to to get through it and to make a change not only in their lives, but in other people's lives as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, with that being said, I, I want to jump right in here because I have been giddy about this since you said that you would be on the podcast um, to just kind of start back and just hear your journey. You know, where where did it all start from? Where, where did you grow up? Um, How did you grow up? I grew up in probably a typical white family in mm-hmm. Madison, South Dakota. Well, my parents were middle class, probably. My mom worked in the home, not outside the home. I had a younger brother, younger sister. They were four and five years younger than me. And then when I got to be like 17, my parents adopted a little boy, Johnny. Mm -hmm. And uh, so like I was leaving for college and he was one or something like that. So. We never really got real close, Mm -hmm. but um, so that's the family I had. So I did grade school in Madison, South Dakota, Mm -hmm. and when it was time for high school, my parents loved the idea of O'Gorman High School because they had girls' wing and a boys' wing, Mm. and they're like, oh, good, we can keep Kathy from seeing what boys are, and (laughs) we'll put her in the girls' wing. 
Mm-hmm. And so we came to Gorman, came to Sioux Falls, moved here like the week before school started. Mm. And I was one of those kids that was sitting alone in the lunchroom. And I had a priest came and sat with me. Mm. And then he goes, Okay, well, we'll see you. You know, he sits with me for like five minutes. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Leaves me alone again. <laughs> oh, wow, just checking on you. Yeah, yeah. Just make checking sure on that everything sure was okay. You're right, alone? Least, yeah, yeah, okay, good. We'll have fun. Right? <laughs> but but right. then I got to have really, a lot of really good friends, mm-hmm. you know, from, from then after that. And to this day, my best friends are some of those women that I went to high school with. Wow. And we've got a group. A group of us got back together again during the pandemic when that mm-hmm. first came. Mm-hmm. We'd get together with masks on and play <laughs> games and giggle and laugh, and mm-hmm. we're still getting together without the masks That's now. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. But it's really been fun because there's people that have known me for 50, mm-hmm. <laughs> more than 50 years. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's been great. But that's so Gorman was my high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Graduated in 1967. Okay. So I'm like a child of the 60s. Okay. That's when I went to college. Mm-hmm. I went to college in Fort Collins. I actually wanted to be a nun, and my parents really? wouldn't let me. Wow. Because I wanted to go to Africa, and we always followed these nuns that were from Mary Knoll missionaries, mm-hmm. and they were in Africa. Why did you, was it specifically because of that? What was it about that and going to Africa that kind of interest you? I think the adventure of it, the travel of it, the fact that you could help people, mm-hmm. you know, they were always helping these little kids and we'd get the Mary Knoll magazine every week, probably. Yeah. And it just, it was just really looked like a neat way to live. So mm-hmm. I like, I like that. But the parents were like, Okay, you go to Fort Collins for a year, mm-hmm. and if you still want to be a nun, we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was there for probably a couple months. <laughs> they found out I had been dating a black guy. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's time to come home. Wow. Go to the nun. Go to the nunnery. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. But I didn't come home. <laughs> no, nope. I, 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 <laughs> yep. I came home to be lectured at. Yeah, and our right. local, our Catholic priest, Father Murphy, who was always on under our roof. Well, Kathy, I wanted to go to Africa when I was first a priest, so I understand what you're going through. I'm like, no, you don't. Right, I'm just dating a guy that I think is yeah. cute, you know. Right. But. Yeah. So, so that was a big <laughs> that was a change for your family. Yes. And what was that? Because at the time, that was probably normal to mm-hmm. kind of get that type of reaction. Yeah, and that would have been normal. Mm-hmm. My dad had read something that Eldridge Cleaver, who is an old member of what? The Black Panthers, probably. Mm-hmm. He had written a book that said, let's have all the black guys go out and get all the white girls pregnant. And then will have mixed race mm. children. It would be wonderful. Right. Well, people like my dad didn't buy it. You know, he didn't like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So he thought it was all big part of a plot mm. or something. Oh, you know? okay. Yeah. So a little but, bit more to, to like the story on where that kind of thought process is yeah. coming from, you know? Mm-hmm. How did that kind of make you feel when, when they first said, you know what, no, it's time for you to come home? Yeah. Oh, I was mad. Yeah. I was mad because I was like, I was the most Catholic girl you ever want to meet and it's sad when I think of it, but <laughs> I bought into everything. And I'm like, 
So all of a sudden, we're not all created equal. We're not right. all God's children. We're not, you know, I was right. just like so disappointed. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I was really disappointed. So from there, you actually did end up going to Africa. Africa. <laughs> um, was that before or after your journey into law school? Before I went to law school. So this was, okay. Yeah. So, okay. Can you tell so, us about that journey for, sure. you, for you? I always had five-year plan for myself. I wanted to go to college. And once I got to college, I wanted to go in the Peace Corps. Because I still had those urges to go and change the world and be wonderful and, you know, go to Africa. Right. And I, when I was in college, I worked at a shop called the cobbler and they made leather sandals and every kind of leather thing belts and everything Mm. so i got a job working there and i met a guy that was a peace corps recruiter and he said you know i can i'll see if i can find something for you if you really want to go in the peace corps so he found me a job that was teaching leather work to kids in ethiopia i'm like well i'm i'm all for that you know Mm -hmm. that's that's my deal. Right. My dad had a little poll with one of the senators, Frank mm. Denholm here in South Dakota, and he put in a word for me. There's a political part there was mm. to getting in the Peace Corps. Okay. And, you know, a lot of people don't know that. I didn't know it either, but, mm. you know, there were, like, lots of applications and stuff that you get somebody to just pull yours you out know, and go, here you go. who you know. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I got into the Peace Corps. We went to Chicago for a meeting, they had all all of us go there and just a pre-staging program. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, no, my shop that I work in for leather work is closing down. And I can get all the leather tools. I can get everything that I might need. No, 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 don't worry about it. We've got a whole box full of leather tools in the closet back in Ethiopia. So I got there and... They had like little stamping tools that were mm. little roses, or you know, it wasn't anything right. that I could use. So. Oh wow! And then they go, well, besides that, don't worry about it because your job really kind of fell through. You don't really mm. have a job, and mm. I'm so. But just go through the training. You had thirty days to learn the language. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, we'll f- we'll find something. Right. So they did find me something. There was a couple that was going to do pottery work and then I could do leather work up in this village in northern Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. So that's where I went and worked with the kids and did leather work and it was great. Um, but then I can't remember what happened, but that job fell apart mm-hmm. and I was jobless again. I'm mm-hmm. like, the only time I've been unemployed, <laughs> unemployed is when I've been in, in the Africa. Peace Corps. Right. Right. Kind of they looking for that next. You, yeah. Okay. You know? Okay. It's like it was like two hundred dollars right? a month. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, what was that like? Kind of coming from America, and then, like we talked about a little bit before the show, getting there and being in an environment where you are now the minority. Do you remember that? Was it kind of like a culture shock, or did you experience anything like yeah, that? Yeah, it was a culture shock. I mean, you were looked at like being a white girl over there. You were looked at as really an oddity. So, like, you know, they'd, they'd look at you differently. Right. But, you know, like the older men would hit on you. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And 
in their language, they would say, like, if you're a married woman, uh, it means the same thing as if you're not a virgin. So they'd mm. ask me, oh, you know, are you a virgin? Which means, are you single? Sure. Mm. And it was like, oh, leave me alone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to tell you guys everything. <laughs> right. And then I would get people, you know, guys that are my my professors or my language instructors proposed to me, two different ones really? proposed to me. Yeah. It's like, you know, I know. And so it was like, I was different, but nobody was mean to me about that. Right. You know, they were all really nice and they wanted to know more of, right. of me, I guess. I have go. to, I have to ask, you know, going from again, America to Africa, I feel like Americans and this is in my opinion, of course, but I feel like we're not easy to accept help, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're around a group of men or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's, it's very hard for us to just like, OK, yeah, you can help me. On top of that, you're a woman at the time trying to help as well. Did uh-huh. you see anything different at that point in time or do you feel mm-hmm. like they were very accepting of your help? And they were accepting of, of the help because mm-hmm. the it was a mayor of this town called Gondar in northern Ethiopia, he had he was running this school rehab place for the kids, little mm-hmm. orphan kids, and so he's the one that hired us to do pottery and to do the leather work. Mm-hmm. And he had plenty of money to throw at our different projects, mm-hmm. and um, so I think we were we were accepted. Right. Once you're there for like maybe a week or two, mm-hmm. you realize. I'm not going to make a difference to anybody. This is like too huge. Mm-hmm. It's too big of a problem. It's, over here. Right. it's okay. way over my pay grade. Wow. They were still, you know, they're still plowing their fields with oxen. Wow. And one thing that would be like crippling for them was every year for Ramadan, which I can't even tell you what month that is, but it's like a whole month where they fast. So July right. or June? <laughs> I, can, I think it's. It I, I do believe it's in the in the summer. Sometimes it's like right when the harvest was going to be ready. Okay, so they would all be fasting, mm-hmm. and they couldn't harvest their food because they were too hungry. Mm. So there was like there was a real disconnect in what they needed to do and how they their culture set up. Their culture just like undermined them mm-hmm. with the the religious uh, fasting, mm-hmm. and that still goes on. And I don't know if it has caused problems, but it was something that we all thought was should be different. Right, right. Well, because you've experienced right. different, and we, right? And we knew that you have to be able to get out in your field and walk around mm-hmm. right. uh, to get the harvest in. So the just to clarify, Ramadan is between the end of March and the end of April. Okay. okay. Somewhere Thank around you. there. Like our Easter kind of area. Okay. Essentially, yeah. yeah. So... So while you're over there, you had an experience that, again, not very many people get to experience with. Um, you were actually bitten by a green mamba. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. What was that? How did that happen? Where were you? Like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's like one of my big claims to fame in life, that I got bit by a green mamba and mm-hmm. lived. And survived. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, when, when we were done with the Peace Corps, I was with Charlie Kilmer, and that's who this, the kid's grandpa is. That was my first mm-hmm. husband. And he and I and two other people, uh, two other guys, all went to the beach in Kenya mm-hmm. and camped out. We had a fly sheet over our over us just 
you know, a real crude tent. Mm-hmm. And the other two guys, Peter and Joe, they had a cabin, a little cabin. And we were at a kind of a resort where you could go in and play darts and drink beer and have lunch and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it was like the middle of the night, and I rolled over and felt something like bite me, something really hot, right in my stomach, right by my belly button. Mm-hmm. And I had a long nightgown, wool nightgown or flannel nightgown, good yeah. Catholic girl still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I reached on it. You know, I rolled back on my back, and I reached on top of my nightgown. I felt this. Mm-hmm felt the snake. Yeah. And I had a flashlight right by my head and I flipped it out, flipped it out of my nightgown and I just could follow. I saw it, you know, I, with my flashlight. I saw oh, it man. The wow. It was just a little green guy about like that long, maybe mm-hmm. a foot and a half. And I'm laying there and thinking, okay, it looked like a garter snake. Really. Yeah. It was small. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, but I do know that like 80% of all the snakes in Africa are poisonous. Right. So I am laying there and it was actually about three in the morning. Mm -hmm. And so I'm laying there going, "Uh, maybe after about 20 minutes, I woke Charlie up. And all all three of these guys were um, with a smallpox eradication program. So Mm -hmm. they were like medical people. Mm -hmm. And... So Charlie decides he's going to, I tell him, I got bit by a snake. I saw the snake, blah, blah, blah. So he goes, well, I think what I better do is I got to poke at it and get all this venom out, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he starts taking a safety pin, mm-hmm. and he got it cleaned up. You know, I mean, he sterilized it, poking in my stomach, and I'm like, no, that's not going to work. You right. know? And, and plus, I think all the venom was already distributing right. around my body. So I'm like, no, that's not going to work. And so let's go see what Pete and Joe have to say. Mm-hmm. They were just, and so we got dressed, walked over there. How are you feeling during this time? I was like, feeling, it was, it was crampy. Yeah. You know, it felt real crampy. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, went to put my jeans on and I couldn't zip them up because it was sore. Yeah. I, I was getting uh, puffed up too. I was getting swollen. And so we go to their cabin and knock on the door and we tell him what happened and joe sits up and he goes well stomach's worst possible place you could have got bit (laughs) he he lays back down peter who's my best friend to this day yeah he sat up and he goes i met some guys on the beach today who have a land rover i'll be right back Mm -hmm. so he ran out all we had was bicycles and we're like five kilometers out of town right so peter comes back we all get in the Jeep with him, and we had been to a doctor that day because the day before, because Charlie had an ear infection or something. Mm-hmm. So we knew right where to go. They bang on this guy's door, and he sticks his head out from the top window, and he's like, what do you want? You know, I think he's probably some old Nazi, you know, yeah. living there in Kenya. Mm-hmm. And we go, they go, well, we got this girl here. She got bit by a snake about an hour ago. And he goes, why weren't you here an hour ago? <laughs> <laughs> So we're like, oh, God, we're in trouble now. Right. But he took me to, like, a greenhouse behind his house. Mm-hmm. And that was his little medical place. And he said, you're lucky because my anti-venom didn't come from Nairobi today. I have just one vial left. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so he put the anti-venom in my both butt cheeks. Mm-hmm. And then he said, okay, now tell me what the snake looked like. 
He never, he didn't ask me one question before that. Mm. And so I'm like, well, it was about this long, bright green. And then he goes, well, you're lucky his mama didn't get you. He goes, Mm. that she, he said, that was a baby green mamba. And his mama, if she bites you, you got five minutes to live. Really? Yeah. Wow. So we went back to town. Yeah. And, or went back to our resort place. And Charlie and I got one of those little cabins. We decided I'm not sleeping yeah, on the I'm ground. Yeah, I'm done with the beach, right? Done on the ground, yeah. <laughs> yep. And when I woke, I, know, I fell asleep, woke up, and there, my, the cabin was surrounded by Kenyan people. Mm-hmm. They wanted to get a look at the Ferengi girl who lived through a green mama bite. A green bite. mama bite. Because wow. wow. they don't live through them. Right. So, That's crazy. That, that was, is. Yeah. So it's so, kind of almost like a... Like a spiritual thing almost. Yeah, it's a near-death like, experience. For sure. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And ever since then, I've just had this thing about snakes. I love them mm. because I survived. Yeah. You know, I have. I feel like I almost bond with them. And if right. I get a yeah. tattoo, it's going to be you a snake. Should. Yeah. <laughs> you should. I am completely opposite. Oh, I yeah? see snakes and I'm like, okay, you know what? No, so my mom, she's definitely more afraid of snakes than I am, but yeah, I just, I don't know. Yeah. I won't even run a snake over in a mower just because I'm like, <laughs> really? I won't. It like, might live I've, I, yeah. I'm like, I've had, I've had uh, one out in Rapid City and, um, it just kind of hung around and it was a big gardener snake and I've had my chances where I could just run it over oh in a mower. God. I'm just like, no, nah, no, I'm going back inside. I'll mow next week. <laughs> yeah. Like this is, this is your land now. Right. It's yours. Right. You can just have this house yeah. and everything. I'm bad, I guess. I'll run them over. Really? Yeah. Clank, uh, clank, clank, clank. Oh man. And then they're done. Yeah. You know? I'm like, then his friends are going to be back at my porch talking oh, yeah. about where's my homie at? Oh what? my gosh. We're coming uh, for right. you. Yeah. That is crazy. You so, live your life. So that's, that's that is a crazy <laughs> yeah. story, a crazy experience. And obviously not very many people get to live to tell that type of story. That's while you're in college. And then you end up going back to Colorado. No, that was there? after college. Oh, that I was graduated. Okay. Yeah, Cause I was, I had well, before gr- law school. Yep. I graduated okay. from college and then went to the Peace Corps. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So yep. what was the transition from that point then you know, getting into law school, like, what was what was that experience? Because this is another good yeah. story, really. Yeah. Came back to the United States, and Charlie and I got married. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we lived in Deadwood, South Dakota. We started our own leather shop, yep. since I knew how to do leather work. Yep. And um, the bicentennial was coming up. Seven, 1976 was going to be a big year in Deadwood. Mm. And... So we had our shop and had all sorts of stuff, and it was a good good gig, I guess. Right. And then I started also working for uh, Job Corps. Okay. And that was just outside of Deadwood. And our friend Peter, yeah, that saved my life, <laughs> he came and lived with us. My sister Nancy was living with us. And after we were married a couple years, well, like five years actually, mm-hmm. we got... Mia, mm-hmm. my daughter, mm-hmm. yeah. my Kiss's mom. mom. Yeah. And um, once I had a baby, I realized, well, now I was waiting tables at the China Doll restaurant at the time because mm-hmm. I think we had closed our shop by then. How but old were you when you had Mia? I was 27. Okay. Yeah. So that, that was pretty old in mm-hmm. those days, but that's how old I was. And so I was waiting tables and 
home with the baby. Mm-hmm. And I realized I needed a profession. I needed a job. Mm-hmm, right. I wasn't going to be able to just stay home. And we couldn't afford me to just stay home either. Mm-hmm. Charlie was driving truck for a fruit company that just distributed food all over the hills. Mm-hmm, right. He and Peter both worked at that. And so I decided I was going to try to get into law school because it's a three-year degree. Mm-hmm. You don't have to write a uh, thesis. Mm-hmm, right. You know, you don't have to give a speech. You don't have to. Right. It was like one of the smooth, coolest, uh, easiest tasks I could think really? of to get a really good degree. Mm. And um, so then Charlie thought he should go to nursing school. Mm-hmm. So we made the plan to leave the hills and go back to school. Well, I only got accepted like to go to the summer bummer program, mm-hmm. or we called it the summer dummy program, mm-hmm. which was if if you were from South Dakota and you wanted to go to law school, you could go to this summer program, and if you did well enough, you could go to law school. Mm-hmm. But my grades from college were not the, that great because I had skied. I was in Colorado. I'd been right. skiing <laughs> and partying, and you know I was. Right. Not real mature. But anyway, <laughs> so I, my bad grades haunted me my whole life. So anyway, I went to this six-week program in the summer. Mia mm. was just a baby. We stayed with my parents here in Sioux Falls. And I drove down to Vermilion every day to do law school. And I got into law school. And wow. It was like 60 people yeah. trying for like 10 spots. Really? Yeah. And the first day I'm in this classroom and it's like all 60 of us are in there. And I look at the front row and it's like, not even everyone in the front row is going to get in. Right. You know, it was a small group. Right. Do you remember how long that gap was between graduating college and then deciding to go to the summer program? I graduated from college in 71. Okay. And I was already on the road to being in the Peace Corps when I I didn't even go to my graduation because that's okay. when that was. And Mia was born in 77, and I started law school in 78. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So there was a gap. That yeah, there you... was a big gap where we were just working in Deadwood and doing our, our shop. Yeah. And we had 15 acres of land that we bought. Wow. My parents gave us a, they said, well, if you two get married, because we were living together. Yeah. Uh, if you two get married, We'll give you some money to buy some land. And we're like, okay. So for 15, they gave us $1,500. And we bought 15 acres and a A-frame log cabin with a <laughs> yeah. greenhouse. Crazy. And that a, is crazy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it came with a Land Rover and all the furniture. And we mm-hmm. actually bought the place from some good friends of ours mm-hmm. who were moving. But... Wow. Came with chickens and yeah, <laughs> everything you would up. ever need. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to ask, you know, um, studying in law school, trying to make that next step, of course, after seven years of kind of figuring out what you wanted to do with your life. Uh-huh. Then you you have you have a kid. Right. How was that going through that entire process of having a kid and trying to go through school at that time? Well, it was uh, it was difficult because, mm-hmm. well, when I was doing the summer program, Mia just stayed with my mom, okay. which was perfect. Cause yeah. my, she, my mom would have taken Mia and run away <laughs> with her if she could have, you know? <laughs> yeah. But um, when I first got into law school and I was in the real law school, mm-hmm. um, 
there was a woman that I got to be good friends with, and she was in her 40s, and I was just my late 20s. And she said, here's your deal. If you're going to sit here in, in law school and just think about your baby and think about how bad you feel, you might as well just go home and sit there with her. Mm. If you, you have to be here and be paying attention and do law school when you're here. Right. And so I really set up a, a schedule where I would get up at 5 in the morning, study, get Mia up at about 7, get her off to daycare. I'd go to school. Then I'd come home at about, say, 3, whenever mm-hmm. school was over, and hang around with her mm-hmm. till about 8 o'clock, put her to bed, and then stay up and study, study. till like midnight or 1. Right. And I just did that as I did that the whole time. Yeah. Wow. And And plus, I got into that habit when I started the summer program because I thought, I'm going to stay in Vermilion like eight to five mm-hmm. since Mia was with my mom. But then when I come home, I'm not going to do any studying. I'm just going to be there. Yeah. Right. And so Amazing. that really, that worked out good. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of people would be like, oh, let's just go have coffee or let's go. And yeah. I'm like, I can't, I got to stay here. I got to study. And, mm-hmm. you know, right. Sacrifices. Uh-huh. I mean, you, you sacrifice a lot of time to make sure to get to where you wanted to be. And so, yeah. With that being said, of course, going through that sacrifice, can you tell us through law school? Obviously, you graduated law school, yep, right? I did. Um, so what's the journey after that? That's where it gets even more interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually graduated in two and a half years wow. because you could go to, you could do a summer internship mm-hmm. and get 15 hours of credit for that. That's a half of a year. Wow. Right. And so I did a summer internship, got the credit. And in fact, I did it out in Deadwood for okay. a lawyer that I had known out there. Mm-hmm. And as a paralegal, would you say, or kind what was of, it? Okay. yeah, just a intern? You go, go yeah. look this up, or go make these, <laughs> go call these people and see if they'll join our lawsuit. You know, for their husband that got killed in the mine, and I'd be like, oh, don't make me do that, <laughs> you know. Right. But so I was like an intern. Mm-hmm. And so I got out of law school and those were the days when women just weren't part of the whole scene in the law school, mm-hmm. in law itself. Right. No firm. When I graduated from law school, they were, everybody was always saying no real law firm had ever hired a woman. Wow. And that's like 1980 was when I graduated. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by real law firm? Well, it wasn't the state's attorney, public defender. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. those are like government law like firms. Reckon, yeah. yeah. So they go, you, you're going to be in the state's attorney's office or public defender because you won't get hired by a law firm. And that's, of course, where all the money was. Right. And um, this was the guy who was the teacher who was supposed to get us ready for the world, you know, get us mm-hmm. ready for jobs. Mm-hmm. Right. And he was like, well, the first thing we have to do is we have to put up these screens on the tables in the courtrooms in Sioux Falls because if you girls sit there uh, at the table, we, the judge and everybody can see up your skirt. Mm-hmm. So we got to cover all those tables, mm-hmm. but you can't wear pants in the courtroom. So, you know, that was a big thing. Yeah. And wow. that you're not going to be able to go to a law firm. Well, Lois Rose got hired by Davenport Evans Mm -hmm. before I graduated. And that was like the first woman. It was big, big news. Mm. So I did a internship then, a pre-internship 
right out of law school. Mm-hmm. And I got hired by this firm, Quaintance and Swanson, downtown Sioux Falls. Mm-hmm. So I was in a law firm. It was wonderful. And I got 13000 a year. That was my salary. Wow. And Was that good at no, the No, that wasn't that great. Okay. You know, people that were maybe lowest was getting 20000 a year. But, okay. you know, it wasn't terrible. Right. Do you but, feel like this was because you were a woman hired for that? Well, that no, I think they would have paid anybody that. Okay. You know? Mm-hmm. But I came, I went to visit some friends of mine out in Wisconsin and came back and they had gotten me all fired up. And I said, you know, I think I deserve more money. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And they went, you know what? We think you should just leave. We're mm. we're firing you. Wow. <laughs> you right. And it was like December 10th. I always remember oh it was like gosh. right before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here I. Wow. Uh, so I got fired from my job pretty fast. I probably worked there about a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And was it but, that that you were, was that the reason you were fired? No, it was like they just didn't think I was bringing in enough. I wasn't working hard right. enough for them. Okay. Yeah. So then that was pretty devastating. Right. And both my mom and my dad were like, okay, you can figure this out. My dad goes, first thing you do is you go back to those people and you tell them, okay, I need two weeks notice for, for leaving. I need mm-hmm. pay. I need, and I need an office where I can send out my resumes and I need secretarial help getting a resume together. And they agreed to that. Wow. But see, I never would have thought of that. I just would never have showed up again mm-hmm. at their doorstep. But I got him to do that. And then my mom was like, okay, who's the woman that you always talk about that you admire so much? And I said, well, Lee Bird, who had started her own law firm. And yeah. she's just this wild woman. He had, she had a motorcycle and everything. Yeah. So my mom goes, I'll pay for lunch for you too. Mm. You invite her out for lunch and I'll buy. Mm. So that's what we did. And Lee goes, well, what the hell, how much money do you think you're going to need every month? And I said, well, I got daycare and I got this, I got a rent and a house and all this stuff. And she, I said, I need right around 700 a month. <laughs> you know? yeah. She said, well, you can make that with me. So mm-hmm. I'll just, she said, I'll just give you cases that are extra for me. And so right. I went to work for Lee Bird mm. and she and I were best friends for life. Mm-hmm. Right. And so she helped me get my feet under me again Mm -hmm. okay yeah what was the transition for you because you were a lawyer for how long i was a lawyer for 13 years okay wow and so what was like the type of cases that you were taking as a lawyer mostly divorce okay it was the lawyers who say i'm not touching a divorce case Mm. aren't going to find very much business unless you're in a business world you know right unless you're working for a corporation or something because most people don't go to a lawyer except for a divorce right or a will right sure so that was what and lee had the a big she had the market cornered for Mm. divorce cases in fact a lot of men would come to her Mm -hmm. just meet with her and then leave and then their wife couldn't go because the man had already gone there. Oh. Right. Remember this. Not mm-hmm. that you guys would ever need that. but mm-hmm. So they would just like wow. muddy the water so that their mm-hmm. wives couldn't go to her. So while I was still practicing with Lee, I decided to run for state's attorney. Okay. I didn't win, but I had a chance to mm-hmm. campaign and yeah. give speeches and shake hands and meet people. And it was, it was really... A fun experience. Mm-hmm. 
was I living with you at that time? Or what were you oh. running for at that time? Probably to be a when judge. When you were living with us? It would have been see. like early 2000s. Yeah, it probably was running as a, to be, to a, be judge. a judge. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, I want to hear about yeah, that. As a, yeah. As a judge? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah so that, because that was one of the memories that I, when I tell the Quan about you, it's like, I remember being in a parade as you're campaigning mm-hmm. and like sitting in the convertible and and stuff like probably. That. Yeah. yeah. So what was it like, you know, being a lawyer, you didn't get the state's attorney's position. Was the next step for you to become a judge? I think so. I yeah. think that's where I was going. You know, I was older as a lawyer. So mm-hmm. a lot of people, uh, one friend of mine, Pete Lieberman, he was a magistrate judge. He goes, you know, Kathy, you should really think about becoming a judge because you're an older woman. Mm-hmm. at 30 and um there aren't any, there were no women judges in wow. the state was, of south dakota that was gonna be my next question yeah. a woman i always have to give mildred ramke credit she was a judge back in the early 60s or mm-hmm. 70s or something and but she was gone before we even knew that she had existed mm-hmm. sure. she was from up at sisseton okay but so she was the first woman judge in the state but so then when I was a young lawyer, there were no women judges anywhere. Mm. Or and there might have been a magistrate, but there was just no judges. And so people had put that idea in my head. Maybe you could be this. Mm-hmm. Of course, I loved the thought of it. Oh, my God. Right. You know, it's power. It's a yeah. steady paycheck. Right. It's mm. a, yeah. It's those two things. That, you know, what else would I need? Right. So I started asking people, and I remember I asked one lawyer judge that I knew. What do I do to become a judge? I want to become a judge. What do I do? He goes, well, you have to be a Republican and you have to be a member of the Shriners. Mm. Well, I was an independent and in order to be a Shriner, you had to be a man. Right. So it was like, well, that, that doesn't help. Right. So, so then as time went by, I kept trying to find out what do you have to do? What do you have to do? And, um, I realized it's a political appointment. Mm. So sometimes you can run to become a judge, run Mm -hmm. for election. But back in those days, nobody would run against a sitting judge. Okay. It was just, Mm -hmm. it it just wasn't the thing to do. It was like disrespectful. Mm -hmm. Real disrespectful. Mm -hmm. And if you don't win and you're still a lawyer and you have to go in front of that judge and all the other judges, you know, it was just. So I would never I never even considered running to become a judge. Okay. So but I did find out that George Mickelson, he was the governor, mm-hmm. and my friend Judy Meyer Henry had already been appointed as a judge. She, we weren't friends then, but we became friends later. Mm-hmm. But she was appointed by Jane Lowe, mm-hmm. And he had been friends with she and Mark. Her husband was the attorney general under Jane Lowe. Mm-hmm. So she knew Janklo. Anyway, she was appointed, so there was one woman. And so I ended up, I called up Mickelson's office. Mm-hmm. And I said, I talked to his secretary or somebody, and I went, my name is Kathy Kilmer, and I'm wanting to be a judge. And I would like to meet Governor Mickelson because he's going to have to start appointing judges, and he's going to need to appoint women and mm-hmm. Here I am. I'd right. like him to know who I am. Yeah. And so she goes, well, okay, I'll tell him and I'll get back to you. So she gets back to me the next day. He's going to be in Sioux Falls on Friday and he'll meet with you 
at, you know, Skelly's had a big banquet room. Mm-hmm. Meet him there at like 1130. He's giving a speech at noon. Okay. So at 1130, I go into this big hall wow. with all the tables and there's Governor Mickelson and I. Wow. We sat down at the table. Mm-hmm. I had my resume and, you know, I just said, I would love to be considered by you mm-hmm. as a to be a judge. And I know that you've only got one on the bench. You're going to need more. Right. And so then I realized, well, he had a governor's club that you had to, you didn't have to join, but it was a good idea to be a member of that. Mm-hmm. So that was like a thousand dollars to join it. Wow. So I, I joined it on the installment plan. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd pay him okay. $200 here. Yeah. yeah. And then I also joined the, the uh, attorney general's club which Mark mm. Barnett was the attorney general. So I kind of got got paid my way into those clubs. To get into different to, rooms. To get into different rooms and to get people to talk to me. For sure. And so there was going to be two judges appointed. And this was like the big deal. And I thought, oh, God, I've got to get one of them. I know I'll get one of them. Well, as it turned out, I didn't get either one of them. And I thought I was like poised to be yeah. right next. And... So it was two guys that got appointed, and I was like, oh, my God. I was devastated. And I got called up by the Argus leader. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, what do you think about this fact that you didn't get appointed as a judge? I said, well, I really thought Governor Mickelson would do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So about two days later, I get a call <laughs> from Mark Barnett, the attorney general, and he goes, don't ever tell anybody I told you this. Here I am. Um, but if you can keep your face and mouth out of the Argus leader for five minutes, I think you're going to get appointed. You're going to get one of these jobs. I said, how'd that happen? Well, one of the guys that got appointed, his wife didn't want to move to Vermilion Mm -hmm. from Rapid. That's where they lived. Mm -hmm. And so he's already bailed out. Wow. And so he later told me that Mickelson was (laughs) looking through his files and trying to figure out what to do. And he goes, (laughs) Well, Barney, should I do the right thing? <laughs> That's such a great story. Yeah, yeah it is. And, yeah. and none of that would have stemmed from, I mean, anything if you would have just sat back and just listened to the Waited. first person that said, hey, yeah. you know, you need to be a man. Yeah. And right. you know what I'm saying? So for you to just go out and put the step forward to make sure mm-hmm. that you had the the right things in process so that you could become a yeah. judge is just right. amazing, especially at that yeah. time, because I think of it. And if someone told me that, and I pretty much had the whole, like the world, all the statistics going against me at that time, I probably would have just been like, Oh, well then yeah. I'll just keep being a lawyer, yeah. you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So no, I think, I think right that's there. a good lesson. Like you're saying though, you know, for the people that are listening, if there's anything that you want to do, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what other people are saying. You're going to have to make the sacrifice. You're going to have to maybe come out of your pocket Mm -hmm. and invest in yourself really is what you did. And Mm -hmm. that allowed you to have conversations that got you talking and sitting with the governor and all of those things. You know, nobody can hire you or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, invest in you if they don't know who you are. Right. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's big to just, be like, you know what? He needs to know who I am. Right. And it ended up working out. For yeah. Him. You have and, to know, well, you just have to know what are the qualifications? What do I have to do mm-hmm. to get this job? Right. And nobody, 
or very few people are going to tell you, well, you know, it's political. Mm-hmm, you got right. You got <laughs> That's the biggest uh, mystery in the whole thing mm-hmm. is to know that you got to buy into their political world. So right. did, can, did, did you switch at that point from an independent to a Republican? Yep. Yeah, I did. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> I did. That's crazy. I'm like, okay, I can't become a man, but I can't become a Republican. <laughs> right. Right. Without it killing me. Well, if it was yep. 2020, you could have. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have to, man, I have yeah. to ask now, of course you said that no females, I mean, at the time really were judges. Mm-hmm. Just, just, um, just Judy, Judy, Judy and I, Okay, yeah. so yeah. then you were well, the became, second? Yeah. Okay, well, very yeah. nice. Congratulations on that. And goes, now I suppose we're going to have a line for the Biffy with you around. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, it was great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some, it's really crazy, like, my perspective and being able to see you, you know, through your career, some of your career as a judge and being in the courthouse and walking through those halls and being in your office I think it's something as I was growing up, you don't ever really know you as a kid, you're just a kid, you mm-hmm. know? So being able to look back on those things, like I was very privileged to be able to experience those things and see you, you know, in a parade and doing all mm-hmm. those things where you did have the power. And so kudos and where to she you. was yeah. making change. I mean, hundred percent, you know, around the world, like to be the second female judge and, I mean, in a, a Republican state where mm-hmm. you're primarily an independent, you know, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's just that's just amazing to take a step out of your comfort zone, you know? Yeah. Um, and we and and we try and tell people, especially our listeners and whatnot, that you have to learn how to thrive in uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. That's the only way that you're going to be able to progress and move forward. Gonna have to do the things that are uncomfortable, right? Um, so it, it's always nice to have individuals like yourself on here tell their story. On mm-hmm. you know what i i put I put the ego behind me, I put the the worries behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I took a step and I jumped, and and this is where 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 I landed. You know, so I love yeah. it. I yep. love it. But what Zacchaeus is remembering the parade mm-hmm. is like I got appointed in 1992. December. I remember mm-hmm. he, George Mickelson called me December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, well, if you are if you still want the job, I want to appoint you as a judge. So I was like, wonderful. Wow. So then, so I was 93. In 98, I was up for election. So as a judge, you get eight-year term. Mm-hmm. And I was filling in somebody retired uh in the middle of their term or early mm. in their term. Okay. So in 98, I had to run and it, you only run if somebody runs against you. Uh-huh. Well, I had two people run against me that were lawyer. One was a magistrate judge who was from Yankton mm-hmm. and one was a uh, lawyer from uh, like Wagner area. I can't exactly remember. He had been in Parker. Okay. And that was where my, headquarters was when I first became a judge. Mm. And um, so those two ran against me and, you know, they knew everybody. And I was in the first circuit, which was like seven counties that were Yankton, Vermilion, mm-hmm. uh, Olivet, all the way out to Lake Andes. Right. So those were, that was my area. So I had to 
be in parades and go and knock mm-hmm. on doors campaign. and campaign. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, talk about being uncomfortable. I yeah. hated every second I've of had, like, your job is on the yeah, line. my job right. is on the line. These two people are after me. Mm-hmm. And everybody was going, oh, they're going to, you're going to kill you, Gilmer, because you aren't going to, you know, you're not going to get it. Because nobody mm-hmm. knows you down here. They mm-hmm, go, right. nobody knows you in Yankton. As it turned out, I kicked some really major butt in that yeah, deal. Right. <laughs> I did. Well, I, I beat them. And, yeah. you know. So that was good, mm-hmm. yeah. But um, it was tough, and it it gave me a lot of uh, anxiety. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah, put it that I'm sure. way. And anyway, so I I did manage to do that. But that's what you remember that's going right. to okay. the parades, and I know we were in a parade in Vermilion, and we were in Brandon, and yeah, we were all over the place. I heard another a little story, um, kind of while you were a judge, and another big change that you did that you had, at least were a part of. Um, there's one thing that we have been partnered, I'd say not partnered, but kind of partnered. Uh, we think of think 3d and they have a program called justice impact. Mm -hmm. Um, there's one thing that we feel is very, is important is for people who go into prison or, and then they come out that they actually have some type of rehabilitation that it's not just you're on your own, you know, because most places I feel like they, they'll kind of frown upon you. Like you've been to prison. Oh, I don't want to give you a job. I don't Mm -hmm. want to, you know, and I I don't think that's right. I think everyone should deserve a second chance um, on that. But during that time as, as a judge, was there a program that you, that you helped approve during that time for something like that? Yeah. Like I think you're thinking about drug court. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, Well, Pat Rypel was a judge by this time. Mm -hmm. She, um, was another friend of mine. Of course, we became friends. Yeah. Uh, because we were there's a small group of us that were judges, so we'd right. have mm-hmm. lunch together. And but I knew Pat from law school days. Okay. But anyway, um, she really wanted to do this drug court, and the presiding judge, who is the person in charge of all the judges and the courthouse business and all that, didn't like the idea. And he had this thing. He'd go, "Well, it's just hug a thug." That's what drug court is. You're just hugging people that are thugs. Mm -hmm. And why should we waste our time and effort on them? Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel that way. I felt like we needed to do more rehab and more help with, for people because you cannot jail your way out of drug crimes. I mean, Mm -hmm. you just can't, you'll never put everybody in jail that is doing drugs. It's not going to work. And this drug court idea that Pat had was like a comprehensive program and people were going to have to get jobs and they were going to have to pay their child support and they were, and it was just a really big deal. And eventually I became the presiding judge Mm -hmm. and that, oh gosh, I was presiding judge for like five years before I retired and Mm -hmm. I retired in 2013, I think. So, like, 2008, I became presiding judge. So then I was the boss of mm-hmm. Minnehaha and Lincoln County. Mm-hmm. And um, so I told Pat, go ahead, see what you can do. I like the idea. So, yeah, yeah. I I gave her the go-ahead. Wow. And from what I understand, she's still doing drug court. She yeah. is, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's, like, one of the most successful programs mm-hmm. because they they, like, 
follow these people for you no know, it's like six months or mm-hmm. i don't know yeah well you probably the know program more about that it. they're in with leaders of tomorrow and think 3d is really about just self-development and more so understanding your own mindset and why you're doing the things that you're doing and how your energy affects those around you just all of those things and i think it brings a lot of awareness that you know, we should be learning as we're growing up, but not everybody comes from environments that's mm-hmm. teaching those mm-hmm. things, you know. So I think it it's absolutely helpful for the people that go through it. And it seems like they really enjoy it, yeah. you know, as participants. Yeah. And by the time they graduate from drug court, they have gotten themselves a job. I mean, they're working. They're back even with their child support payments, mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. respected members of the community. Right. And it's like people and they're they're holding their feet to the fire the whole time. Mm-hmm. And you know, like if you don't do what you're supposed to be doing in drug court, you're gonna go to prison. Right. You know, that's, that's a better something alternative to hang away right. yeah. going through this program for yeah. sure. I mean, yeah. that's how you help people overstep poverty right there. hundred yeah. percent. That's know? right. 100%. That's really what it is. I hope you have her come on and talk about it. I would love to. Yeah, Yeah. I would love to. I know I talked to you about having her on. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to ask you, you know, from your perspective as a retired judge, when it comes to the criminal justice system now, and I mean, it's been kind of messed up for a long time, but where do you think, you know, at this present time, like where are we still getting it wrong? Do you, do you think? Oh, course you remember i've been out of it for a while for a while but mm-hmm. poorer people are treated poorer mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. just we as judges you think oh i treat everybody the same but when you put you know okay there's going to be a ten thousand dollar bond on you to get out of prison or out mm-hmm. of jail while you're waiting trial mm-hmm. yeah well it's not really hard for a lot of people to come up you can come up with ten percent you come up with a thousand dollars not everybody can come up with a thousand dollars to get out of jail. Mm-hmm. So if you're poor, you sit there. Right. If you're not so poor, you can get out. So mm-hmm. that's that's always been a problem, and it still is. Mm-hmm. Right, the money, aspect. the money aspect. Yeah, and I did abuse and neglect cases with kids for maybe the last five years of my career. Mm-hmm. Just that's all I did. We're really failing the kids in a big way because we take them out of their home mm-hmm. which needs to happen in a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of cases but then we have nowhere to put them mm. we don't have foster homes for them we have things like children's home society yep. and you know but that's one facility and i there's one out in rapid too mm-hmm. but we it, without foster homes we really don't have a lot of places to put kids and we really need that for and, sure and I know that we always were struggling with um, mental health issues for kids. Mm. And I think they've gotten worse from what I understand Right. over the years. I mean, we mm-hmm. never were really able to, we didn't get to the point where we were dealing with that. Mm. But from what I understand, after the pandemic and everything, yeah. there's so many kids that are just struggling. Like, you know, they missed two or three years of high school or two right. or three years of grade school. and yeah. But we need more more help for those for kids. Absolutely, I'd say. I agree. I agree. Yeah, and the reason I ask is, and you have been out of it for a while, but just your perspective on seeing a lot of the things that you have, it's when you're dealing with that, you tend to see 
the glaring problem on like maybe where mm-hmm. it can be fixed or um you know coming up with some type of solution but it's a it's a battle for sure it is and <laughs> sexual abuse of children mm-hmm. that was more more prevalent than i ever dreamed it would be you see it on the news you see it a little bit here and there but when i was on the bench i would be like you know is everyone having sex with children is that the whole is it's that what sick. the whole city's doing? It was mm-hmm. horrifying. Well, and it seems like that almost, um, and I don't want to say gets protected in a sense, but it does kind of seem like those type of crimes are sometimes kind of brushed under the table, it seems, with a lot of Well, there's so situations. much secrecy around them because mm-hmm. you can't say what the kid's name is. You can't say the mm-hmm. parents' names. Right. You know, but, and it's usually, people don't even know about it until the child's dead or yeah, it's too late. It's just yeah. a terrible situation, but well, I actually want to, you know, before we get into the next segment of our episode here, there's a question that we ask everyone um, that comes on. And, and obviously we just talked about the rehabilitation program that you helped install here in South Dakota. Um, and that's helping people overset poverty. Now, Every person that comes on our podcast, they have their own definition, of course, what poverty is. I mean, it's something that I was actually going to put on Facebook the other day, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to wait. I'm going to put it on there another day. It just wasn't the right time for me, I feel like. But it's it's what is your definition, of course, when you when you hear us say or you see us um, do our podcast and, and what overstepping poverty is, what is your definition of overstepping poverty? I think of it um, like your story, Daquan, touched me so much that you were in foster care and you mm-hmm. really had a rough go of it coming up. And I look at somebody like you who probably didn't have a lot of money, didn't have resources, and overcame that mm-hmm. with help from friends and absolutely another family that kind of took you in. Yep. I look at that as overstepping poverty. Also the mindset of people that is so narrow. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we don't want, you know, you can't date a black guy or you can't uh, have friends that are gay or you can't, Oh yeah. Just all those things. That's poverty of the mind, poverty of the soul. Right. And I think we have a lot of that in this country, Mm -hmm. for sure. but just becoming aware of what's going on in the world. And then, Working, you know, you got to get money. You got to work for money. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. just, it seems so crass, but Mm -hmm. you have to find your niche and get a job and go there every day and, you know, do stuff like that. It takes effort. I mean, a a lot of action too, you know. And just putting one foot in front of the other every day and Mm -hmm. getting out of bed and going to a job that maybe you think is lousy, but... It'll lead you to other places. If your job's exactly. lousy enough, it's going to pre- propel you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ain't like when I truth. first got to law school, I would, I said, I just can't do this. It's too hard. Mm-hmm. I'm, I feel like I'm out in the middle of the ocean and I have no boat. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to make it to shore. Mm-hmm. So I think my mother said, why don't you take that, uh, menu from the china doll where you worked as a waitress and put it on your wall mm-hmm. and realize it's either the china doll or yep. stick it through in law school right mm-hmm. and so i did that well i thought so. it was powerful what you said about the the woman that was older you older than you that was also in law school and told you if you're gonna be here be here right and i think that people myself i've been there where you get kind of 
sick of where you're at or you'd rather be doing other things, but it's nice to kind of get grounded and understand, okay, I'm not doing this for right now. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this so that in the future I'm able to support my family and do the things that I need to do as a parent and adult. So I think that's super powerful. It is. It is. And that leads us into our next segment here. Um, you know, again, I always say it, but we place people on the hot seat and we ask them um, some some tough questions, you know, and we want to make sure that our guests have an opportunity to ask us those questions as well. So we'd like to get into roundtable where you can ask okay. us questions. Okay. Yeah. I've given this some thought. Good, good, good. <laughs> okay. I would like to ask you guys, what do you see yourself doing in 10 years? Mm. And then I'm going to say, and then in 20 years. Okay. Perfect. 10 years. Um, let's see. I'll be about going into my 40s. Yeah, you'll be all close So to my children will be about 14 <laughs> and 10. It's crazy. Uh-huh. Uh, that, that is <laughs> no. crazy. Or not 14, 12 <laughs> and 10. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> but, damn, that's crazy to think about. Well, mm-hmm. I, I'd like to be... Um, Personally, I'd like to be coaching my kids. I'd like to be involved that way. I hope overstepping poverty is international at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, I really see it. You know, poverty is something that's all over the world. I think it's something where we can make an impact globally. In 10 years is is quite a long time. I just read something that says most people overestimate what they can do in, in one year, but underestimate what they can do in five years. Mm. And, you know, we just had a business planning event this last weekend and just seeing where how far we've come in a year and how much life has changed both professionally and personally in a year, you know, 10 years from now, I'm going to be in a fat mansion. I'm going to have my own lake in the backyard. Speak that into existence. And just, man. Go get it's me a be beer. Crazy. Go get me a beer, kid. <laughs> right. I'm gonna have right. a robot go get the, yeah. the right. beer for me by then. <laughs> right. Seriously, seriously. But ten years, yeah. I just want to still be building in the community. I still want to be helping in the community. At that point, I want to be able to be more of a financial support for a lot of, you know, kids that need support of getting to practice or mm. paying for the things that they can't afford. I really want to be that type of person that is elevating and reaching out to those kids and absolutely making that difference so yeah i like it that's, that's crazy. A, and then 20 years yeah and then 20 years <laughs> you'll be 50 i'll probably be a grandparent by then <laughs> yeah um which is well maybe <laughs> we'll see but 20 years from now well i'd like to be retired in 20 mm. years by 50 i'd like to be retired but i don't think i would ever truly <laughs> stop doing what it is that I love doing. I think I'll always be doing something 20 years. That's so hard for me to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that's a long way down the road. Realistically, (laughs) you know, I shouldn't even be able to imagine what that is going to be like, just because like I said, there's so much that can happen in just one year, five years, 10 years that where I can be in 20 years. I don't think that my mind can even comprehend that. Yeah. Yeah. Like realistically. So yeah, um, How about you, Duquan? Yeah, I mean, Zacchaeus <laughs> touched base on a lot of things that I truly want for myself um, for that 10-year uh, mark. And that's, I mean, in 10 years, again, OSP, he said internationally. I, I'd love that for for us. I'd love that for everybody because it's not just a, a me and Zacchaeus thing. It's something that 
we feel everyone can connect themselves to um, because you are you're over seven poverty every single day when you get up and you go to work or mm-hmm. you you try and make a difference in some area or some place you are over seven poverty but also on top of that there's other things that we do we're doing with osp and that's the production side of things i think in 10 years like we're going to be able to allow not just us to, you know, do this podcast, but give other people, you know, <laughs> a, a route where and not only just a route, but the equipment um, and the space and whatnot where they can do their their podcast and help tell people's stories or tell their own um, on that. And then my family, of course, you know, um, I want three kids. So uh, within 10 years, I'll for sure have three kids and I'll be I'll be teaching them some of the same things that. I was hoping to be taught when I was growing up, you know, and, and it's kind of changing that generation um, and just changing that the whole as- aspect of life, um, sure. giving giving my kids things that I didn't have, whether it's the knowledge or, or whether it is the the uh, um, the objects or anything, you know, um, but that's that's where I see myself. And of course, Zacchaeus will have his mansion and. I'll probably have one right next to us, you know, um, walking over in the morning and talking about, Hey, what's up, man? What are you doing today? I'm golfing, you know? Um, so that'd be great, but it's still, we're, we're still going to be though. We're going to enjoy some of these things in life, which I feel like everyone should have the opportunity. Um, if you're putting the work in to enjoy those finer things, I think there's no shame in that. We're also still going to be doing what we're doing now, and that's making change within the community. Um, that doesn't stop. It doesn't just stop because we got to wherever it is we wanted to be. It, it continues to to grow, and we grow off of that. Um, so uh, 10 years is, uh, well, I'm, like, thinking about it, and I'm kind of <laughs> giving myself butterflies. But, and then you say 20 years, and, and 20 years, I, I do want to be retired. And I can see myself, you know, we're having a little boy in April, and I can see myself still playing one-on-one basketball against him. Um, making sure that either my other boys or girls, um, you know, are in sports cause sports were, were huge in my life. It was my, it was my escape from, from what was going on that, I mean, that aloneness at home, you know, you had a team around you. So mm-hmm. I think that's, that's huge for, for me to ensure that my kids have that, um, that space, um, as well. So 20 years I'll be retired doing that and. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's quite a bit. I'm sure that (laughs) I probably left out that I can only dream about, you know? So Mm -hmm. that was a good question. Well, that, my next question that you've already kind of answered, I said, what do you, what do you want your children to learn from you? Mine's easy. I would love for my children to take my mindset and my confidence. Um, it was, it's definitely something that I felt like I had to build. Um, it doesn't just happen overnight, but you know, especially when it comes to the confidence, I want my kids to know that there is there is absolutely nothing that will get in your way if you put your mind to it or you put the effort to it. Uh, the only thing that can get in the way is yourself, you know, and if you don't have that mindset or you don't have that confidence, you're going to continue to uh, hit roadblocks and you're, and you're going to hit these roadblocks and you're just going to turn around rather than go forward. Mm-hmm. And I want to ensure that my kids do not turn around. I want them to continue to chug forward like I have done for myself. So what about you as a kid? One of them I do agree is confidence. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that most kids lack. Um, you know, whether it's in the classroom or just at home or on the field. Uh, if there's somebody that's speaking and breathing confidence into you, it's just, it's hard to not be confident. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather have a, a child that is overly confident and even people may call him cocky. I'd rather have that than somebody who's has no sense of 
self and confidence in themselves. Sense of so, worth. Yeah. So <clears throat> I I would like to, I guess not take that from me, but I would like to instill that in my children. Um, but the the thing that I would like them to take from me is really just being a problem solver. You know, I think it's something that a lot of people lack. And when you have a problem, if you can try to find the solution and go in that direction, oftentimes you might not find the solution that you were looking for. But kind of like you said earlier, you'll be on the path of where you need to be going. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's you have a child and you need to be making money. Okay, what do I need to do? to kind of rectify this situation or put me in a position to be more comfortable or whatever it is. And, and thinking outside of the box, I think is it's almost kind of like common sense a lot of times, but yeah. my mom always told me common sense isn't so common. And I think just prob- yeah, problem true. solving is, is that a lot of times. So that is a good question though. Yes. Okay. I have one more question. Okay. How important was your education to what you are doing today? You know that's a that's a tough question because I my education there's a lot that goes into what I'm doing today of course that I receive from my mm-hmm. education side of it like it but I don't think it all has to be just the book smarts of things you know I think a lot of it was more of like my education also taught me I mean some street smarts as well mm-hmm. where Zacchaeus had said that like problem solving there's not a lot of times that you can solve a problem in real life, like real life issues that you're going through. You can't truly just pick up a book and just be like, Hey, I'm going to solve it by reading this or Mm -hmm. anything like that. Um, But again, there's also times where picking up a book and growing that knowledge and ensuring that you, you are smart and you can hold an intelligent conversation with someone, or you can, you can sit in the room with anybody, you know, just, and not feel like you're just some, some mosquito on the wall like you can truly sit there and you can you can you can engage in the conversation with them i think that's huge where my education piece has helped um but as well as i think the biggest thing i i know i'm kind of rambling here but education is is very important i think it's truly important um on that but i also what education also helped me with is finding connections with people you know i think that's what i truly have gained out of that there. It, it gave me the confidence to have sit down and have conversations with people um, to, to know that if I ever need like something, I met someone in college or I knew someone in high school that I built a relationship with um, that I can reach out to them and they can help me with my next thing. So mm-hmm. where, where most people will think like education, the only thing you take from it is how can I be studious or how can I solve this algebra problem or anything like that? Um, it actually gives you a way of solving more than just that. I think I look at education in a few different senses because, you know, going through grade school, middle school, high school, I had many different experiences, both being here and then being in Vegas and all the different types of middle schools I was at when I was in Vegas. Um, And then coming to a place like O'Gorman where I had the biggest culture shock of my life, but that's where I really feel like, I gained like any sense of direction when it came to like going to college. But really, I think when I talk about college as education, the biggest thing that I took away from that, like the Quonset is the people skills. You know, it is you're in a situation where there's people from all over the world, mm-hmm. you know, in you're at your university and you're be able, you're able to, you know, have lunch with these people, see them every day. And you don't really realize those things until you leave college that those experiences are 
they they don't come around Mm -hmm. all Mm -hmm. that often you know um but i think the biggest education and the most important education that i really did get was after college you know and working you know having a bachelor's degree but feeling like there's nothing in Sioux Falls that I'd even really want to do when it comes to my degree. Mm-hmm. And even if I do have my degree, I'm not getting paid much more than somebody that doesn't have a degree. If you really want to start making mm-hmm. more money, you need to go get a master's degree. So, but that pointed me towards getting, you know, certified with selling life insurance and then now getting certified to do mortgage. Like mm-hmm. education is so many, so why it doesn't have to be one particular Mm -hmm. form you Mm -hmm. know what i'm saying so Mm -hmm. for something like you know to become an insurance agent or to become a loan officer the barrier of entry for that is actually very low Mm -hmm. and i think for you know for me it's helped me get to this point where i'm able to invest into something like this and be able to make a difference but at the same time for people that are listening anybody can do what i do you know like it took me 30 days maybe two months to get certified doing mortgage you can make so much money doing this and it doesn't have to be something you necessarily do forever you know but it is something that can definitely give you a comfortable launch pad to really go out and do what you want to do so i think education is super important i definitely agree with you um zacchaeus with education it is it's important to have a mindset that you can get educated at any point, like in your life. It doesn't just have to be in a school system, you know, mm-hmm. um, you can get it in, like you said, I mean, your job or, or whether it's like handy skills or anything like that. Like, so it's valuable to have that open mindset that you are truly learning every single day. And if you aren't, mm-hmm. then unfortunately you're, <clears throat> you're probably just in the same place that you'll, you'll be forever if you aren't continuously trying to learn um, on that. But that does uh, take me into our last part of our episode here um, where we talk about education and learning more things. Um, And that's, that's tips, tricks, and hacks and overstepping poverty, you know, so you've learned a lot in your lifetime and you've taught Zacchaeus quite a few things as well because he talks about you all the time about it. So I just want to know, I need a, a couple more gems for you. And that's five tips and tricks and hacks that you tell somebody into overstepping poverty. Okay. Yeah. I've given this some thought too. First of all, I'd say don't let anyone steal your dreams. If you've got a dream, I had to go up against, well, my parents to become uh, what I became. Um, When I went to Colorado State University, I told my mom, I'm going to be a forest ranger. She goes, no, you're going to marry a forest ranger. You go there to marry a forest ranger. Mm. You don't be one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's limiting. I, I got that a lot, you know, mm-hmm. that girls don't do that. We, mm-hmm. And then get encouragement from teachers or coaches. Like you were saying, if your parents aren't supportive of you, mm-hmm. find other people that are. Like you yeah. said, the coaches and people that will believe in you and use them for your guidance. Mm-hmm. And keep old friends close. I was telling you, that I've gotten back together with my old high school friends and mm-hmm. during the pandemic and up till now, and we've there's a group of like six of us, and we have just given each other so much support. Right. And we just really thrive in each other's company. Wow. Because it's just a accepting group of people. 
mm-hmm. and we it's just really been satisfying to That's good. be with those people. Um, leave toxic relationships behind. That's mm-hmm. been the hardest thing I think for me. Mm-hmm. Figure out who's pulling you down, who's jealous of you, yeah. who's trying to undermine you. Because you know when you're doing politics and lawyering and judging. There's always people coming after you. You know, right. every time you make a decision as a judge, somebody's ha- unhappy with you. Right. Mm-hmm. But if people are are trying to un- undermine you, just get rid of those people in your life. Yeah. And don't believe everything you hear or mm-hmm. read. Do some research. Do your own research yeah, and yeah. try to figure out. You know, I don't know if this doesn't sound right. You know mm-hmm. that what people are saying. Figure it out for yourself so that you can hold your own in a conversation or hold Mm -hmm. your own in an argument. Absolutely. Those are some tips. I love that. Yeah. That was really good. I have to ask when it comes to like seeing, like noticing people undermining or pulling you down through your time, what are some of the things that you, you know, now that you might not have noticed before, like, to identify that, I guess well, the red flags. Yeah, do you think yeah. that you can think of any red flags for that? Or how like, would you would, how would you assess like if they're pulling you down? I guess I would be like, um, like if you're if you bring up your idea, like I think this would be a great idea, and they're always like, well, that doesn't make sense, or that mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, I don't think that's even doable. I mm-hmm. think that you know that mm-hmm. is one thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just if they're constantly pulling on you and trying to put you in a bad light or mm, sure. mm-hmm. trying to tell you that you know you're you're not doing whatever it is you're supposed to be doing you're not doing it right and trying to throw you off throwing your you game, off basically. your game yeah. yeah and you know i i had toxic relationships all the way through my my career mm-hmm. and it took me a long time to figure it out mm. and Mm-hmm. You know, just people that were continually pulling me back and saying, no, you can't yeah. do that. You know, right. you're a girl, you're a woman, you're old, you're you're too young, you're too old. Mm-hmm. Right. You just, you can't do all that can't stuff. can't buy into that no. either. And you just have to go, no, I think I know what I want to do. I'm going to keep doing that. Right. And if you have a good spouse, partner in life that is going to keep encouraging you, yeah, that's, that's what you need. Somebody mm-hmm. that yeah. just thinks... You're the greatest thing since sliced bread, you know, yeah. and whatever you do is they're going to be right there with you. That's what yeah. we're doing. And that's what Seriously. you need. Right. Yep. I, I love, love that. that. That's what yeah. you got to have. I completely agree with you there. And um, again, we appreciate those five tips, tricks and hacks. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to listen to those and they're like, well, you know what? This is so true. This is so true. And mm-hmm. it, it provides a different perspective on on uh, ways to overcome things, you know, or things to think about, you know. So, right, right. Um, again, we we appreciate that, and we appreciate you being on the podcast here. Yeah. Now, again, it's not often that you can have a loved one on the podcast and be able <laughs> to uh, just really deep dive into their journey there. So, right, um, we appreciate you you being vulnerable enough to to tell us your story and tell our viewers your story as well. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Of course, I love you, and love thank you, you for being on. And this is awesome. Absolutely. Well, there you guys have it. This podcast is brought to you by OSP Productions. Uh, We are here to ensure that your story comes possible. Uh, So again, when you do listen to this, give us a like, share and a follow. And until next time, we'll see you on Overstepping Poverty.
Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Overstepping Poverty. We hope you found this week's discussion informative and thought-provoking. We know that tackling poverty is a complex issue, but by working together and understanding the root causes, we can make progress towards creating a more equitable society. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family, and don't forget to subscribe to our show. Until next time, let's take the next steps in Overstepping Poverty.